The following is a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at highlandsadventure.org. Uh, we welcome you to Highlands Church. As you can see, every Sunday is a little different here at Highlands. Every Sunday is a little different music, a little different prayer, a little different message. But every week, God is bringing something powerful into this place, and we thank God for that. We also welcome those listening on podcast. Thank you, Dan, for praying for those who are hit by the tornadoes, particularly in Branson, Missouri. We pray for those who are listening on podcast. We have Branson listeners today whose uh, houses and churches have been destroyed by these tornadoes. If there's anything Highlands can do for you over this next while, please let us know, and we will do whatever we can. So as you've heard, we are beginning a new series today called H2O, or Hope to Outsiders. And obviously, this is a play on words. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be uh, participating in significant sacrifice. This is the uh, sacrifices that we're going to give up for Lent and for helping our water projects in Africa. I'm giving up Korean food, and I'm doing pretty well. I want you to know I haven't gone to a Korean restaurant in over a week, so um, I'm really proud about myself on that one. Uh, I love Korean food, and that's, I'm giving up this thing that I love so that we can, uh, we can raise money for, for life water. But we're also beginning this series called Hope to Outsiders, and we're going to talk about hope in its unique variety. It's different from the hope of the world, and it is a powerful message, and I hope that, well, I hope that it is something that God speaks to your heart today. We know that this is a world that needs a lot of hope right now, isn't it? I mean, $60 for me to fill my gas tank the other day, and the gas prices are going up. I know that the school district is laying off jobs here in this community. Maybe you're being affected by that. We know that the police department is being affected. We know that contractors are going without work. We know that people are struggling. So if that's where you are, we, we are in prayer that this new time in your life will be a time for God to speak into that place where God needs to speak. So let's begin with a quick definition of hope. Uh, the quickest and the easiest definition we might have for what hope is, is it's a person or people who look into the future and see that things in life are going from a place of darkness into a place of light, that things are going from a place of difficulty to a place of ease, that things are moving in that direction from challenge to upliftedness, from bad things to good, from negative to positive. And so hopeful people are people who don't necessarily have the whole light that they want in their lives, but all the time are convinced, number one, that the, tra- the trajectory of their lives is moving in this direction, that maybe today you're standing still a little bit, and maybe yesterday you went backwards, but basically your life is moving towards a place of from darkness into light. And one of the things that I've noticed as a pastor over the last 11 years is that generally speaking, kids have more hope than adults. Somewhere along the way, we adults lose this sense that our life is moving from a place of darkness into light. My daughter, uh, Haley, who's three years old, is a little hope machine. I mean, I am telling you, she's one of the most hopeful people I know. It's so fun to see her learning new songs and stuff. So she's learning nursery songs, Jesus Loves Me, and she's learning, you know, the other ones, Baba Black Sheep. But I will tell you, my daughter's favorite song is not Jesus Loves Me or Baba Black Sheep. It is from the band Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> now, I'm not saying this is a good thing, and I may be a bad parent. It's possible, but we don't let her listen to all the music. But there is one song that she loves from that CD, and it goes like this. I got a feeling 
that tonight's gonna be a good night. That tonight's gonna be a good, good night. She listened to that CD from Paso Robles to Sacramento and back again. That's all that we listened to. That she had a feeling that tonight was gonna be a great night. Now, it doesn't matter that for her that means two stories instead of one. Or five more minutes in the bath. For her, she has this sense that things are going from a place of darkness into light. Her second favorite song, by the way, is that One Republic song. It's another hopeful song. Again, we don't literally listen to all the music from One Republic, but this is the, this has got to be a good life. This is going to be a good life. This is going to be a good, good life. You've heard that song. It's a simple song. The other day I was having kind of a bad day, and, and, I, and Haley came up to me and said, Daddy, and I said, what? And she said, I just want you to know that I'm having a good life. <laughs> I said, oh. <laughs> she has this sense that her life is moving from darkness into light. That is hope. So I want to talk about God's desire that we are living into that in every part of our being. And by the way, when people come and they come into me and talk to me about how they don't have any more hope, what is happening is a series of things. The first thing that could be happening is that they feel that their life is not exactly a path towards hope, but it is this circular, non-intelligible journey towards something they cannot put their finger on. Or it could be that they feel that there's some kind of blockage, if you will, between where they are and the hope or the, the positive thing that God wants them to have. So I want to look at this, and we're going to take a very serious look at this text and at this, uh, this concept over these next couple of weeks. Now, Christ followers believe this, that our lives are this trajectory through Jesus Christ towards salvation towards something of light, from darkness into light. That is the basic faith of our lives. No matter what happens, we are in this river, if you will, that is moving in that direction. I love that song we just heard from Caleb and Amanda, that train, it is rolling through. That is this train of faith that we are on. So let's take a look at our text. Now, for the next four weeks, we're looking at the book of Philippians. And when I say looking at, we are going to read the whole thing. This is a series called an expository series, which means we're going to literally go verse by verse by verse, because I want you to get a deep sense of how hopeful this book is. It's often been called the letter of joy, but it could really be changed to the letter of hope. It's hopeful for so many reasons. Let me just lift up a couple. First, Paul is writing this letter from prison, and not just like a real kind of like nice jail or even a prison in California. He is writing from the Roman Praetorium. And this is a very, very dark place. He has a prison guard that he is shackled to and that follows him wherever he goes. If he eats, he has this prison guard that he's shackled to. If he goes to the bathroom, he has to be shackled to this prison guard. Also, when he prays, he's shackled to the guard. Paul loves it. He makes the guard pray with him when he gets down on his knees. Paul never misses an opportunity to share the gospel. It's a captive audience. So he's writing from this very dark place into this beautiful idea of a light place, the church in Philippi. Now, we'll look at this. The church in Philippi has not always been a beautiful place, but he's writing from this dark place. Now, he may die in, in this prison. And in fact, probably four years after he is put in this prison, he is actually killed, beheaded by the Roman government. 
They would put you in prison, and then all of a sudden they would take you up, and then he'd, you would just disappear. And that's probably what happened to Paul. So he's aware of this. And he's aware also that death may not be the worst thing, that his life is moving from darkness into light, even through this life into the next life. The second thing is he is writing to a community, Philippi, that is also a place of darkness into light. Now, not to put too much history on you, but uh, 40 years before Jesus is born, a king by the name of Julius Caesar is ruling the empire, and this assassin by the name of Brutus, the history coming back to you, Brutus assassinates Julius Caesar, and Brutus and Cassius run away. Remember, et tu, Brute? Remember when uh, Brutus kills us, uh, Julius Caesar, and he says, et tu, Brute, and you, Brutus, Brutus? And so Brutus and Cassius run away to Philippi, where they are hiding out, this town that we're looking at. Then Mark Antony and Octavian, this is Mark Antony, the, the ruler the next ruler of the Roman Republic, and Octavian, the young next ruler, go and they have this battle with uh, Cassius and Brutus, and they actually vanquish them. So this becomes a sort of military town. And, and so there is a place of darkness that needs to be brought into light. Now when Paul comes into the city, not to drop too much history in you, but in 650-ish AD, this is a town that is oppressive to any people of faith, and four or five women are outside of this city named, one of them is named Lydia, remember? And she is a henna, or a, she is a purple dye saleswoman. And she's praying by the river. Paul then and go, goes and meets with Lydia. And then he sees a girl that is demon-possessed and uh, running around the city. And he casts out a demon from her. And then he gets put in, in jail with his friend Silas. He puts, gets put in jail. And then an earthquake comes. And then he breaks out of this prison. So he goes from darkness into light in Philippi as well. Okay, a lot of history, but this is important for getting the whole trajectory of this text. Let's look at this text. We're going to look at 25 verses together. Let's listen for God's word. This is what Paul writes. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ, better shackled to Jesus Christ. Paul's shackled to somebody else right now, but he is also shackled to Jesus Christ. So all the saints that's the church, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers, the steering team, and the deacons. He always begins his letters, grace and peace, shalom and charis. It's a good way to start the morning, clears your throat, shalom and charis. Shalom and charis literally means well-being and gifts from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice he's not writing it to them, he's saying this is what's coming from God. This is how he begins. I thank my God every time I remember you. What a wonderful thing you can say. If you're a grandparent, say that to your grandchild. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my parents and all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy, charis, gifts, because of your partnership. The word is koinonia here, bad translation. It should be teamwork. Because we're on this team together. In the gospel from the first day until now, and here's the main focus of the text for the day. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's read that together. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is a huge, huge sentence. Confident, Latin word, fido, fido. Some people call their dog fido. I don't know. Not a bad name, but fido means trust. Trust this, that he who is working on you, that he who spoke to you at a youth retreat back in the day, is continuing to you in this time in your life. That he who spoke to you back when you were a faith follower a long time ago is still pouring good things into your life. God isn't finished with you and I yet. He has a lot of work left to do, and he will continue that on until the day of Christ Jesus. 
And when is that? We don't know. It could be the end of our lives, it could be the end of the world, or it could be the end of time. We don't know what Paul means here. But either way, he will continue it on in this life and the next. God will pour good things into our lives. And this is my prayer, says Paul, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You are on this this great journey that you will continue to grow in depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best until the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Now, Paul talks about his own situation. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I, what has happened to me has really been a good thing. What? He's in prison. He's in a dark place. It's actually been a good thing. As a result of me being in this place, everyone in chains has come to Christ. His guard that is chained to him and others are coming to Christ. Because of my chains, most of my brothers and sisters and lords have been encouraged to speak the word. Actually, the church is growing because of this really hard thing that I'm in. It's true that some preach. He says, no, there are some bad churches out there. There are some kind of weird pastors out there that are not really preaching the word. Sometimes they preach out of envy, sometimes out of rivalry. It's the former preach out of Christ, out of selfish ambition. But what does it matter? Paul is, says basically, eh, what does it matter? It's going to be okay. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether in false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Paul is like this weeble wobble. He, he can't be pushed down. <laughs> He, he's in prison. He bobs back up. He, he knows the church isn't going so well. It's going to be okay. And then he thinks about his own death. He says, you know, I might even die in this place. And we know that he does in the, a later date. But he says, that'll be okay. Verse 21, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. But what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, life and death. My grandma would say, one foot on a banana peel, the other in the grave. He's between these two places. I desire to depart. I'd kind of rather die, to be honest with you. I've talked to people in that place, and that's an okay place to be as long as that God is the one who takes your life, and we have nothing to contribute to that. I depart. I desire to depart because to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is, it is better that I stay with you, he says. I'm going to remain. I'm, I'm staying alive for you. Boy, that's a guilt trip. I'm going to stay alive for you. Convinced of this, he says, I know that you will remain and continue all, all of your progress in joy and faith. I'm going to stay so that you stay on this journey from darkness into light, that you'll continue to go, and you'll be reminded about that throughout whatever happens, that you may be unemployed, uh, that, that you may not be able to pay your bills, that you may be going through marital struggles, that you may have a sickness that you can't put your finger on, you may have an addiction that you're still working on, but God, God is continuing to work on you that you're going to move through this process like a great river, that it's carrying you along with it. And, and that's the future. That is, that is the salvation that God offers. It's such a big idea, and I hope it's the, the main concept we get from this book of Philippians. It's hard to wrap our minds around because it's so easy to live in this, this little moment. I was thinking about a, a canoe trip that my family took a few years ago. My uh, my family uh, used to live in Idaho, and then we'd go up to Bozeman, Montana sometimes for this canoe trip, and we, we wanted to go on this ra- whitewater rafting trip, and we had this idea, like, serious, serious whitewater, right? And so we watched videos, we got helmets, we got, like, super vests, and we were ready to go, and maybe we'd get some video, and we'd come back and show everybody our video of going whitewater, maybe we'd tumble upside down, and it would just be this intense, like, raging, raging river trip. Well, I don't know if you've ever been up to Bozeman, Montana. 
but the river up there is not white water at all, <laughs> at all. And, and in addition to that, we had these, these old fiberglass groom and canoes that were wider in the middle almost than they were this wide like this. And they were really weighted down. So we would actually paddle through this river. And it would, I don't, if you're a physicist, would you explain this to me? We would go forward a little and then we would actually go backwards. <laughs> actually, if we paddled, it made it worse. And, and so we would just lie there in this canoe. There was no wind for two weeks, one to two mile an hour canoe that pulled us down. It was just a wonderful trip, let me tell you. Um, and we looked up at the canyon walls with Lewis and Clark, where used to go back in the day. And my sister actually had an aluminum canoe. She was 12. And she and her friend would shoot past us and leave us there in, in the slow part. But then, you know, they can only paddle for so long. And so then we would kind of all slowly catch up to another. And that was pretty much the whole trip. But here's the thing. Our canoe was still going down the river. It may have been going slowly, but it was rolling down the river. That's the best definition of being rooted in the grace of God that I can think of. You know, we could have tried to go backwards for a little while. We could have actually tried to paddle backwards, and that wouldn't have been very productive. We could have tried to do that. But, but ultimately, the grace of God would pull us, hopefully, through the water from a place of darkness into light. Now, this is a huge theological idea, and it's one that a lot of Christians struggle with for two basic reasons. The first is that we think that if we paddle harder, we can get much further ahead. That maybe I'm going to become much more righteous than you, and I'm going to paddle much, much harder, and then I'll be way down the river, and you'll be way back here, and then I'll be able to look back and go, ha, ha. That's not what we want. That's called workspace theology. And and that, actually, you can go faster in the river. You have to find a place where the river takes you faster. The river pulls you down. You don't do anything with it. So that's workspace theology. The other is the theology of backsliding. Now, I know that there are a lot of people from different traditions in this church, and we love that. But basically, I don't believe in backsliding or backpaddling, if you will. Now, that isn't to say that you can't go against the stream. Sure you can. We all know people who are going opposite from the river. It's just that we can't like get scooped up the river once the river takes control of our lives. And so people would say, well, what about this person who is like going that direction, the opposite direction? I would say they're actually not on the river. Once the river takes hold of our lives, the Bible says no power in heaven and earth can separate us from the flow of hope from darkness into light in our lives. Nothing. And that, my friends, is the most hopeful thing I can think of. So I want to just lift up for you three ideas, big ideas about hope as you think about being more hopeful in God. First is this, that God isn't finished with us yet. God is not finished with us. Amen? Amen. I, I am so excited that God is not finished with me yet. I have a lot of stuff that I want different in my life, but God isn't finished. There's a woman who had this tendency to take apart all these, um, all these things in her house, and she couldn't put them back together again. She tried to take her lawnmower apart. She took a thousand pieces, and she kind of left it in the yard out there, and it was really a terrible sight, this lawnmower. She just left the pieces out there. And then she had this vacuum cleaner inside that she tried to fix, and she took that apart, but she couldn't, couldn't put it back together. She didn't know how to fix it. Her sister came over and said, uh, what gives? And she said, this vacuum cleaner, said the other one to her sister, is not cooperating with me. The other sister said, well, why don't you take that vacuum cleaner outside and introduce it to the lawnmower? And maybe it will cooperate then. 
I don't know about you, but I love, I love the idea of not being finished yet. And I love the idea that I can't finish myself, that only God can finish me. I've been studying some things that are not finished in history. There's apparently a lot of things. This is a famous picture uh, by Benjamin West, as you can see, of the Paris Treaty. And this was the treaty between the Americans and the British. And as you can see, the British didn't show up for this picture. <laughs> and that's why Benjamin West couldn't finish this painting. It's a famous painting, unfinished portrait, because the British decided not to sit down and look like they had just lost. Um, next picture, here's, a, here's another unfinished thing. This is Summa Theologica. This is St. Thomas Aquinas, the great thinker. He was writing a book about God. And this was going to be the definitive book about God all the explanations of God. Then he was sitting in church one day and God spoke to him in a way that couldn't be put in a book. So he stopped writing Summa Theologica. And so therefore, that's an unfinished work. Here's another one. This is uh, The Fugue by Bach. This is his last work. As you can see, it goes like this. And that's how it ends. He died and was unable to finish the fugue. It's an unfinished work. Here's another uh, interesting picture. This is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Um, he was, uh, this picture was painted of him that morning. He was about, the, uh, the, the painter of this picture was going to finish this work, but then he died, and so it was unfinished, and this is how it was left. This is my favorite. This is a hotel in North Korea. This is an unfinished hotel. It's, it was supposed to be the tallest hotel in the world, and as you can see, it's unfinished. And that's because somehow it was structurally unsafe. And no one wanted to stay in a hotel that was structurally unsafe that was a thousand floors. I don't know why. So that will never be finished. I like the idea that I'm not finished. And that God will finish me someday. But it will be in God's time. It's interesting, Paul says that God will continue to carry on good works in us through Jesus Christ, until the day of Christ Jesus. When that is, we don't know. But God will continue to pour goodness into our lives. We looked at this text with our staff this last week, and many of our staff said, I, I get that about me, but my problem is other people around me. I, I'm just worried that God has is, is, is kind of forgotten them, that God has got a lot more work to do in them, a lot more. And I'm here to tell you that if they're on the river, God is going to continue to do good work in them too. We're not finished, and God is not finished with us. Uh, second thing is this. God will continue to pour good things into our lives. I think that's actually the worry for a lot of people, that somehow that we're not being led to this place of light, but a place of darkness. We almost don't mind the struggles and the challenges, but if, as long as we're heading in the right direction, and there will be light at the end. But one of the most important things God wants us to know is that there is this positive light of Jesus Christ that we are all going towards. Uh, it's interesting, uh, Philip Yancey, one of the great uh, writers, he just wrote a book called The Jesus I Never Knew. It's a good book. Philip Yancey talks about how he got this aquarium for saltwater fish, and he, he spent all this money on all the detergents and all the water uh, saline solutions and all the vitamins and all the food and all this, and like a thousand dollars. And so when he opened up the lid, he just wanted to know that the fish kind of loved him for spending all that much time on them. So as he was feeding those fish, he noticed that the fish would dart away. So he got better food. He tried to, he tried to get better food for them, more expensive food, but every time he would feed them, they would, they would swim the other direction. 
he realized that nothing that he could do could communicate that he loved them. He wanted to do good things for them. I don't know, maybe it was Philip Yancey's hair. I'm not sure. That's maybe what scared the fish. I'm not really sure. But, but I do know this. We are like that. We have this tendency to feel that God doesn't want good things for us. I can't tell you the number of people who come and talk to me and say, you know, I'm really angry with God or I'm really mad with God about this. And I say, I get that. But God isn't the only one who brings things about in this world. But that God ultimately wants only good things for us. He's bringing us from this place of darkness into a place of light. Last part is this. This continues on. It continues on to the day of Christ Jesus. It just goes on. It's an eternal process in us. I was remembering one of my favorite times in life. I was 20 years old and I got to be an intern for Orrin Hatch in Washington, D.C., Orrin Hatch, I just want to say quickly, is as a person of the Mormon faith, but I know that he is on this, this, this trip as well. I don't know where he is in this faith, and I know that he is a different faith from mine, but that God is pouring good things into him too. He's a good person. But one of the things I love to do was go to all the monuments. I went to the Washington Monument, the Capitol, the White House. I went all these great places. One of my favorites, though, was the, the Eternal Flame in Arlington National Cemetery. I didn't go there necessarily because it was John F. Kennedy's eternal flame. I just went because I was kind of intrigued by the idea of a flame that never went out. And I kind of wanted to know what that was about. And people explained to me, well, there are, there are gas jets down there and there are backup systems, but this flame will never go out. One day it began to rain in Washington, D.C., and I mean rain, buckets. And I wondered if that flame had gone out. So I got on a bus and I went down Washington National Cemetery, and there the flame was still lit. Of course, that flame will go out someday. Jesus said that all things will come to an end, but that God will continue to pour good things into us until that time, until that moment. And that's what God promises us in this place at this time. And that's the most hopeful thing I know. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this hopeful journey you put us on. Thank you that you are continuing to work on us, that you haven't finished with us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us an assurance that we can't really rush our canoes down the river, that you will float us down the river at your pace, and you will continue to bring good things into our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. This has been a presentation of Highlands Church, helping de-churched people become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us at Highlands.